Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2. In just a moment we'll be reading out of verse number 1. Before we start, though, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Father God, we are thankful for the privilege of once again opening your word. And Father, I pray that right now all of our hearts and minds will be calmed and centered and focused. I pray that there'll be no distraction. I pray, Lord, that uh, we'll be able to concentrate on your word. And I pray, Lord, we'll recognize that it is your word. Father, we've heard these words many, many times. Every Christmas we read these words. Uh, Lord, they could become routine in some of our minds. Our, Our brains could turn off as we listen to them because we've heard them so many times. And I pray that's not the case. Help us today, Father, to see them afresh and to recognize that this is indeed your very word. That these things really happened and that the truth that is told here is truly true. So speak to us. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Help me to preach today. Help me, Lord, to preach accurately and rightly. May I not say anything I ought not. May I say anything I should boldly. And give us all ears to hear today. Speak to us, teach us about our wonderful Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, for Advent this year, we have been examining some of the names associated with our Lord Jesus Christ. And especially, we have been concentrating on those names that have to do with the Christmas story. There's a lot of names for Jesus. I I think I mentioned that uh, I looked it up and there was well over a hundred in some lists of the names that we find in Scripture for Jesus. And so we narrowed it way down and we just looked at the ones related to Christmas. And so we've looked at uh, his, uh, his name of, uh, he's, he's referred to as the Word in John chapter 1. He's referred to as Emmanuel in Matthew chapter 1 and as Jesus also in Matthew chapter 1. We have seen that the little baby that was born in the manger was indeed the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He was indeed Emmanuel, God with us, and he was and is indeed Jesus, our Savior, the one who saves us from our sins. Last week, that's what we looked about, looked at, Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins. And, and where that name, Jesus, reminded us of the reason Christ's birth and life ought to, uh, ought to uh, impact each of us in our lostness. The word I want to mention today, I think, speaks to us about how uh, the birth and life of Christ ought to speak to us in our savedness. Is there such a word? Savedness. I want us to consider today what's really not a name, but it's a description. He is Lord. He is Lord. And I want to use two passages today. The first is the one I mentioned to you. So let's start in Luke chapter 2, and let's read beginning in verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And behold, an angel of the Lord stood, stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I want you to notice especially verse number 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We've had that verse on our banner behind me throughout the entire Christmas season. And this morning I want us to think about it just a little bit. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. Now, just a few weeks ago, we talked about this very thing. We, we, uh, we talked in another sermon about uh, the, the, this word Lord. And so let me just briefly remind you of some of the things we learned. We learned that the word Lord is a translation of the Greek word kurios, which means basically master over all, supernatural master over all. It describes an owner. It describes one who controls or owns a state land and property, such as slaves. A kurios or a lord is a ruler, a master, one who exercises authority over another. It would also be a title of respect. It would be equivalent to our word sir, if someone were to call someone lord. In that way, it would be a title of respect. But in that earlier discussion, we also learned something interesting about that word. We learned that when we come to the New Testament, when we find it applied to the Lord Jesus Christ, that it takes on a whole different meaning. In the New Testament, we find that it becomes a translation of the Old Testament word Yahweh. It is a clear indication not only of Jesus' authority as a man, but of his authority as God. When you see Jesus is Lord, it's saying Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. He's Lord. That little baby lying in a manger was the Lord. Isn't that an astonishing thought? There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You just can't read very far in your Bible without coming face to face with that simple fact. Jesus is Lord. The Bible claims it for him. And interestingly, he claimed it for himself. I gave you all kinds of examples of that before, but let me just give you one. In John chapter 13 and verse 13, Jesus said, You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. And so Jesus is Lord. Think about it. Consider the marvel of it. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Don't you find it astonishing? Do you ever look at a baby and think how amazing that the very... God, the very Son of God, would come in that fashion. And that that little baby that lay in that manger on that first Christmas day was the Lord. He was very God. Mark Lowry wrote a song called Mary, Did You Know? Right now it's, uh, it's, it's being revived a little bit because there's a group. What's, what's that group called? Pentatonics? Is that what it's called? Has, uh, has come up with a new uh, rendition of it and it's viral. It's all over the Internet. And every once in a while, somebody comes up with a new way of uh, presenting that, a new interpretation of the song. But you know what? It doesn't matter how many different musical interpretations we come up with. The best part of that song is the words. I don't care what anybody says. The words cannot be improved upon. One verse says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? 
Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb and the sleeping child you're holding is the great I am? He is Lord. When you kiss your little baby, you have kissed the face of God. Is that an astonishing thought? I can't get my brain around it. I don't know about you, but that's Jesus. He is Lord. He is God. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen? Let's look at another passage. Flip back one page in your Bible if you need to. One chapter in your Bible to Luke chapter 1 and verse number 39. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. I would like to suggest that not only is he the Lord, but he should also be my Lord. He should also be your Lord. This is an interesting passage. This is uh, some fascinating testimony from Elizabeth. She's the soon-to-be mother of John the Baptist. And here she is. She's in the presence of Jesus, yet unborn within Mary, in the womb of Mary. And here she is in the presence of him, and we see him calling, uh, we see Elizabeth calling him, my Lord. Did you notice that in verse number 43? Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, I did this particular Christmas season, what all preachers do uh, as Christmas season is approaching. We start frantically reading all the different te- uh, aspects of the Christmas story in the Bible, trying to figure out what are we going to preach about Christmas this year. And so I came across this particular passage. And for some reason, this time, that I couldn't get away from that. My Lord, that little word, my, just kept jumping out at me. You know, it would have been impressive testimony on her part if she had simply said the Lord. If she had said the, the mother of the Lord. After all, how could she possibly know that? How could she know that he was the Lord? He hadn't even been born yet. How could she know? Well, the Bible answers that question for us, doesn't it? It says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible makes it clear that the only way any of us can recognize Jesus as the Lord is through the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't utter the words. A lost person... A person that is unredeemed, unsaved, could certainly mouth the words, Jesus is Lord. That's not what Paul is saying. But what Paul is saying is you can't understand it. You can't come to a personal understanding of that important and vital truth in your life apart from the influence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus put it another way at another time when he said in John chapter 6 and verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So the Holy Spirit had clearly opened Elizabeth's understanding. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. He had done the same thing for Simeon. Flip over to chapter 2. We're still in Luke chapter 2 and look at verse 25. Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. 
Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon was able to recognize Jesus as Lord because of the influence of the Holy Spirit in his life. We see the same thing in Peter's great confession at Caesarea Philippi, as well as Jesus' response to it. We read in, uh, where's this at, Matthew chapter 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the very fact that Elizabeth could, could recognize that he was Lord at all is a wonderful thing. It's a evidence that the Holy Spirit was working in her life. And just as it is evidence in you and in me, if we can recognize that Jesus is Lord, it's evidence that God is doing something in our life. God has done something in our life. You need the Holy Spirit to draw you if you would understand that. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the Lord. But Elizabeth didn't just call him the Lord. She called him My Lord. She didn't just simply acknowledge he was generically the Lord. My Lord. And that's a distinction I want us to think about this morning. Why is this granted to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. You remember the story of Thomas? Thomas. After Jesus had risen from the dead, he had appeared to several people. Then he appeared to the disciples. Thomas was backslidden and was skipping church. Therefore, Thomas doubted he was absent from the meeting. Matter of fact, let's read that story. Let's flip over to John chapter 20. Let's read this. John chapter 20. And verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Did you get that? My Lord, my God. And so I wonder this morning, can you say the same thing? Can I say the same thing? My Lord. You see, that that is Jesus. He is Lord and he is God. But the real question, I think, for us on this fourth Sunday of Advent is, is he my Lord? Is he your Lord? Can we say, as the psalmist said, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And I'm, I'm sure it's possible that there are some who are sitting here this morning who are saying, you know, Pastor, I, that's very, that's all very interesting. But I just don't see the distinction. I don't really think it makes that much of a difference. I don't recognize any difference between the two. And maybe there's not. Maybe I'm putting too fine of a point on it. Maybe I'm, I'm parsing things a little bit too much. I don't know. But I think the answer to the question is simply that there is a difference of degree. Of degree. 
The fact is you're not going to get into heaven if you cannot accept the fact that Jesus is the Lord. That's the minimal requirement. You're not going to get there. Paul said it in Romans chapter 10. He said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said in verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord should be saved. Notice the use of the word Lord in there. Lord, Lord, you have to accept Jesus as the Lord. The ESV makes it even clearer. Romans 10, 9 in the ESV, also the NIV, the NASB all say it the same way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's minimal. <laughs> get there any other way. If you can't get to that part of it, you're not on your way to heaven. You're lost. We have to confess Jesus is Lord. But the Christian who recognizes him as my Lord, I, I think we're talking about a whole other level here. I think it's the difference between the person who just barely gets into heaven and the one who makes Jesus Lord of their life and serves him wholeheartedly. My Lord. You see, if he is my Lord, then all that I am is his. All that I have is his forever. I'm reminded of a scene from the movie The Count of Monte Cristo. I've always wanted to read that book, but I've never been able to get into the book. I have watched the movie with uh, Jim Caviezel in it, The Count of Monte Cristo. There's a scene in that particular movie where uh, the hero, the Count, can't remember his name, he's just the Count, uh, rescues a slave named Jacobo from death. And Jacobo, out of gratitude, gets real close to the Count's face, pulls him right in real close and says, right in his face, he said, I am your man forever. That's it. That's it. That's what I, I think that illustrates what I'm trying to say. I don't know if you see it or not, but I see a difference between the person who recognizes that Jesus is the Lord and the person who comes to the point in their life where they see him as my Lord. Because it's become personal. It's become all-encompassing. If he is my Lord, he's directing every aspect of my life and I've given every part of it over to him. I am his man forever. My Lord. That means my feet are his. Wherever I go. How my path is directed. It's His. It means my hands are His. Before I do something, I think, what would He have me do? My Lord. My ears are His. What I listen to, my eyes are His. What I look at, what I watch, my mouth is His. What I say, my mind is His. What I think. Don mentioned this morning, Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8, about how we think. My mind is His. My heart is His. What I love. My Lord. So two verses today. Verse number 11 of Luke chapter 2. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And Luke chapter 1 and verse 43. But why is this granted to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. And those two verses lead me naturally to two questions. And I'm sure you know what they are. The first one is this. Have you come to the place in your life where you have seen and recognized that he is the Lord? That baby lying in a manger, the Lord. If not, why not? Why will you not recognize that? Why not confess him today as Lord, trust him as Savior, accept him in the gift of salvation that he offers? You see, you are going to say it. You are going to recognize it. You are going to know it. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord. Why not do it now while it can get you into heaven instead of waiting until it's too late? You're going to say it either way. 
Why not trust Christ and be saved? But then the second question is this. Have you let it get personal? Is he your Lord? And can you call him my Lord and see that distinction and see that difference? Have you given your life and everything about it over to him wholeheartedly? Nothing held in reserve. So many Christians put up walls. So many Christians say, I will go this far and no farther in my service for God. How that must grieve him. Revelation chapter 3, the letter to the church at Laodicea. Think about what Jesus said about the lukewarm Christian. That's what he's talking about. The ones who will say, I'll serve you just this much. Yeah, you're the Lord. I recognize that. I accept your gift of salvation. But don't ask me to serve you with any great level of distinction. Thus far, no farther. But you know, if he's truly your Lord, there's no place you won't go. Nothing you won't do. Nothing you will not be for him. My brother posted something on Facebook yesterday. I I want to close by just quoting from it. I'm not a great fan of Facebook. But nonetheless, I thought this was pretty good. He said this, and I quote. He said, several years ago, I had a dream where I saw Christ laying on his back on the cross with his right arm stretched out as a soldier was about to drive the nail through his wrist. And Jesus was looking down his right arm directly into my eyes, and he asked me, what are you prepared to do? I've been reading in the book of Ezekiel, and when I read chapter 4 and then today chapter 24, it caused me to think about that again. Jesus gave his life, his blood, so that my sins will be forgiven, and so I can spend eternity with him. He paid the ultimate price for me. What am I prepared to do? That's good. Is he your Lord, Christian? You know, I think just as some might need to step out and trust Christ as their Savior, I think some Christians also need to step out and say, you know what, it's time for me to quit fooling around. It's time for me to get serious. I want him to be my Lord. I want to give my life to him. I want to be his man forever. Some need to say, Lord, I've been holding back. I've been one of those who say thus far no farther. But I don't want to be that way. This Christmas, this fourth Sunday in Advent, Lord, I want to give myself to you. I want you to be my Lord.